There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. We know the price of homes, accommodations, lodgings, all the words. Like, we know it's crazy in Australia. We know that apartments are a legitimate housing arrangement all around the world. Uh, Australians, I think, have been scared of apartments for a variety of reasons. I mean, culturally, uh, many Australians grew up in suburbia on a block of land with grass and a home. But it's not 1970 anymore. And a lot of us want to live in cities. A lot of us want to be near the action. A lot of us can't afford to buy freehold property within 10 or 20 kilometres of a capital city where we want to live. So, We want to own somewhere to call home. And apartments could be the right thing. People all around the world have lived in apartments forever. They're certainly not going away, particularly here in New South Wales. The New South Wales state government have got such a mandate to build more high-rise accommodation, particularly in Sydney, uh, where I live in Newcastle. There's apartments going up everywhere. I'm actually in the process of looking to move into one myself uh, because I'm sick of the yard work where I live. So this episode today, it is about buying an apartment as a first time purchase. This is a replay and go with me, don't freak out yet. This is a replay of a webinar that Emily Wallace did uh, about buying an apartment for the first time. I watched it myself and I'm like, this is really good information and the audio didn't suck. So I'm like, let's play this for people on the podcast. So at least you can listen to it uh, while you're driving along and get encouraged. If you do know someone who's looking to buy a first home, maybe this is an episode for them. Sure, there are lots of issues with everything. With old houses, is there white ants? Is it about to fall over? Is there asbestos? I get that. With apartments, is the sinking fund in deficit? Is there a special levy that's going to be uh, applied? There's pros and cons to everything. And I just don't want to run away from this idea of apartments. It can be done well. Everything can uh, be not so well. We'll play this webinar. Let me know what you think of this format as well. Shoot us a DM on Instagram and we'll just see if it works. I think it's for the right topic, it could be good to replay this. In the show notes of this episode, I'll put two things. I'll put a link to the visual webinar so you can watch it if you don't want to continue now. And also I'll put a link to Emily's online course. She's got an awesome online course, how to buy a first home. She's awesome. She hosts the My Millennial Property Podcast and we'll get into it right away. But we can't do our Thursday shows here on My Millennial Money without the help of Global X. Global X brings you the world of innovation to investors with the Beyond Ordinary Tech ETFs. From AI to robotics, Global X's range of exchange-traded funds allows you to capture the companies shaping the future. Explore the possibilities at globalxetfs.com.au. AFSL 4667-78. Investing involves risks and returns are not guaranteed. Refer to the relevant PDS and TMD. Okay, I'm going to hand it over to Emily Wallace now from the My Millennial Property Podcast. You're in great hands and please send this to someone who might be thinking about an apartment. They might learn whether it is for them or it isn't for them. My name's Glenn James. I'll see you next Tuesday. 
Hello, everyone, and welcome to this evening's webinar. I'm hoping that you can hear me okay. Tonight is all about buying an apartment as your first home to live in. And I know that does come with a lot of um, opinions when we talk about apartments. I'm very pro apartments. So we'll talk through everything that you need to know tonight. So if you have not come across me personally and you've been connected with the My Millennial Money um, network, you might not know this, but I co-host the Property Show. Um, if you haven't checked it out, you probably should. There's some really good info through the podcast that we host there. Um, this is part of the My Millennial Money webinar series, and there are experts that talk on different topics. I believe it's once a month, and the recordings from the uh, previous webinars can be found on YouTube. This will also be recorded tonight, and if you miss anything you want to go back over, um, pending, fingers crossed, technology works for us, uh, it will be uploaded on YouTube. Okie dokie. So apartments for first home buyers. And look, I think the reality is as a first home buyer, um, apartments really are the main choice that you have to enter the market. It's the price point. It's the entry point into the market in certain uh, areas. And I know we have people joining from all across Australia tonight. Um, certainly in uh, Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, the inner cities lend themselves to apartment lifestyle. And so therefore, it's quite a relevant topic for a lot of people who are entering the market for the first time. So you probably heard a couple of these statements and you're probably nodding your head or having a bit of a giggle that, you know, mum and dad would say, oh, I wouldn't buy an apartment or apartments are a poor investment. Or perhaps they've suggested or someone has suggested, you know, your uncle, auntie, someone who... Um, has maybe had a property that's a freestanding house their whole life, has said just buy a bigger place further out. And it's a really interesting comment because to me that actually implies that uh, having a big place is a good thing, like having a, a big home is is where people want to be. But actually, as we all probably know, you know, being on um, joining this webinar, you're probably interested in buying an apartment, you would know that apartments offer lifestyle. I attended an event just yesterday here in Melbourne and it was talking about future Victoria. And this is not just relevant to Victoria, it's actually relevant to anybody anywhere. There was an economist talking and there was something she said that really shocked me and I hadn't actually heard before. And it was that your postcode is just as influential on your life expectancy as your genetic makeup is. So your postcode is just as influential on your life expectancy as your genetic makeup. And I was like, what? How does that even, like, that doesn't really make sense. Like how could where you live actually impact your longevity? But when you think about it, and then I like went on a mad Google hunt about this whole statement. And when you think about it, the access to amenity, to hospitals, to healthcare, um, even walkability of areas and not being on the road as much and simply not being as prone to car accidents um, can actually have a drastic impact on your life expectancy. So there you go. Something new that I learned that you might find interesting as well and maybe have a Google um, after the session to learn a bit more about that. But the reason I bring that up is that the postcodes that you find apartments in are typically the ones that have everything at the doorstep. They have the access to the CBDs. They offer lifestyle. And I, I mean, I'm in my apartment. This is my um, study in my apartment tonight. 
I've been an apartment resident for a very long time. And to be honest, my ultimate purchase will be an oversized apartment because I just think they're great. So um, call me biased, but <laughs> I personally just love them. So what we'll cover off on tonight, we're talking about the pros and cons of the apartment lifestyle. What is a great apartment and what is not? And I've actually got a live, or oh, I say a live, I've pulled an example of exactly what I think a great apartment is. And um, you can chime in with questions about what you um, think it may or may not be. Um, then the kinds of features to be aware of, which is a really important one, um, looking at the potential costs associated with apartment living, uh, which we all know body corporate or owners corporation comes into that. So we'll unpack that in more depth. And I'm sure you'll have questions on that as well. And then looking at how to align your apartment with your home buying goals. And when we talk about that statement, we're talking about how does this first purchase then play into the rest of your property journey and what that might look like, whether it's renting the apartment out at a later date, whether it's um, springboarding you into your upsizer, you know, your family home or just a larger property down the track. Um, so yeah, we'll cover off on all that and we'll leave plenty of time for questions and I'm happy to go down whatever tangent we need to go down to make sure you get value out of tonight and feel equipped, ready to buy an apartment. Um, I have only allocated, and I say only because sometimes you attend presentations and you're like, this person's just talking about themselves the whole time and I hate nothing more. I have got one very quick slide that says, spit the facts, high level, who am I? What do I do? So you actually just have some reference point and then we're moving on. I'm not here to sell you anything. I'm not here to run through my life history. Let's just spit the facts. I co-host the, the My Millennial Property Podcast. I'm based in Melbourne as a buyer's advocate, which means I help first and family home buyers to buy a property. On average, we buy a property a week. So we're pretty high volume. And out of those properties that we do buy, 60% are apartments, so um, very high high percentage of what we work with is apartment. That photo there is of myself, obviously, and my brother, Harry. We work together in the business and um, at the moment, we're living and breathing apartments so much because it's so many people who are trapped in this rental trap and the rent race um, who want to buy a property and uh, their first home is an apartment. So that's me. If you want to learn more, you can find more on socials. I'm not here to talk about myself. I'm here to educate you. So let's get into it. Um, apartments offer lifestyle. I've already said that sentence a few times tonight because it is so true. But really when you think about it and maybe you rent an apartment currently, maybe you've been actively looking at apartments and you maybe you live with mum and dad, uh, maybe you live out in the country and you're moving to the city. But probably the most common denominator that a lot of people talk about is this idea of lifestyle. I want to be walking distance to the train station. I want to be, most people say they want to be walking distance to a good cafe and good coffee. And I don't know if that's just exclusive to Melbourne, but I assume that millennials in general love their coffee and need their coffee. So that's a key requirement. Then there's also the general amenity. You know, do I have good restaurants? Do I have maybe a, a theatre that I could go to to see a movie? Um, do I have access to gyms and fitness centres and community centres? And you often find that that inner city living um, is based around all those sorts of amenities Whereas when you go further out, particularly in greenfield estates where there's new suburbs being made, whilst they are making an effort for community, it's still going to take quite some time. And 
the sheer density of apartment suburbs versus single-storey dwelling suburbs where those, you know, sort of greenfield um, estates are where they're kind of like Lego houses all side by side, that can take a long time to build out. Um, and without referencing this event I went to yesterday too much, it's just at the forefront of my mind and I found it so fascinating. Um, they were talking about the impact of communities associated to people experiencing loneliness. Now, obviously, we've all been through a period where we've been very isolated at times and then coming back into integrating into our new normal. The most interesting thing about loneliness was that there are two touch points that actually play into that. We have what we call weak ties and strong ties. Our weak ties are ties to people who are acquaintances, people that we might see uh, regularly, but we don't really have like a deep connection. We wouldn't go sit down and have a DNM with them. We just, it's our barista, it's our hairdresser, it's the person who you see each morning walking their dog while you're walking yours. You don't really know much about them, you know their name, you might know a little bit of their interests, but it's a weak tie. Whereas our strong ties are our family, friends, people that we speak to regularly. The interesting part and why I bring this up is that um, studies show that the uh, percentage of Australians experiencing loneliness is at an all-time high. And one of the key things that can prevent that or certainly help to lower that figure is people having more of these weak ties. And it's about this interaction piece. Now, in an apartment block itself, that even uh, lends itself to more acquaintances being your neighbours. So it's just an interesting um fact to be across that those interactions are really important. And I know, and I'm sure many of you agree that um, we're in this weird sort of time where loneliness is quite prevalent, um, especially because we all spend a lot of time on our phones and social media. So the community in which you live in is actually really, really important. Um, and even having a community within an apartment block could be even better for your mental health. So I think that's a really important thing to note and to be aware of. It makes logical sense, but until it was spelt out to me yesterday, I was like, oh yeah, like that's that's so true. These weak ties are important. And then I walked my walk this morning thinking about all my weak ties who I only know their first name and nothing more. But anyway, that's a side note. Um, let's get into the pros and cons of apartment living and what that can look like. And it's really important that you're fully aware of both sides of the fence because, yes, I'm pro-apartment, but they do come with cons and I've experienced plenty of cons being um, a resident of an apartment. For reference, I do rent where I am. I'm a rent vester, but on my journey to buy an apartment for myself and have bought hundreds of apartments for others um, and there are so many little minor things you have to be aware of. Let's start with the pros and then we'll move to the cons. So pros is proximity to amenity, as I touched on before, um, the apartments being very much in areas where you uh, have really great access to, you know, the essentials around you, train stations, hospitals, um, cafes, amenity, but also Apartments can have actual can have amenity within the block itself. They might be a swimming pool, a tennis court, a gym. Now, that's a pro and a con because you do pay more in body corporate fees for uh, apartment blocks that do have amenity. But you know, proximity to general amenity is a positive. Then we talk about the community within the block and 
uh, I've certainly noticed um, more and more as we go through apartment blocks, a real sense of trying to create a community, whether it be the president of the um, owners corporation or one of the residents who lives in the apartment block, really trying to make an effort with maybe it's sharing the load of if you have to take the bins out, or it might be um, a little communal barbecue that you have together, or um, a lot of uh, blocks do things at Christmas time, like a friendmas thing, but for their neighbours. Um, so that's a really, I mean, some introverted people probably think, oh, I couldn't think of anything worse. I don't want to interact with everybody. However, uh, particularly if you're living alone, even if you are in a couple, it's nice to have another reference point to other people around you as well. It offers inner city living, which is quite obvious. Um, It's very rare you go out to rural areas and there's masses of apartment blocks. These apartment blocks do lend themselves to the inner and middle ring of our major capital cities. They're low maintenance and I think people don't quite... um, they don't really think about when they buy their first home, when you buy a house that's on land and you've got a big yard and you've got um, an actual, like a physically big house, that's upkeep of the exterior, the roof, the garden, the weeds, the paint, like everything that actually needs maintenance over time, the gutters. Oh my gosh, the amount of properties I've gone to that have literally little to no care about the gutters and then they've got leaking roofs because the water has nowhere to go because it's clogged full of leaves. Like apartments are so low maintenance. You literally really just have to look after the interior. Um, In terms of the floor space, they're smaller than most homes. So less cleaning, don't have to worry about your Dyson running out of battery. And I think the biggest thing around understanding the maintenance component is that a lot of the major maintenance is actually what you pay the body corporate for because the exterior of the building and the communal areas are maintained by body corporate. And I'll dive like hard into body corporate a bit later, but just know that not all maintenance is up to you. Um, Easy to keep clean, which to be honest, that's a personal favorite of mine. I don't know if anyone else can um, attest to that, but like low maintenance on the cleaning front when you live a busy lifestyle is definitely a pro. Um, Lock and leave. So a lot of people talk about, I just want a place where, you know, if they travel a lot or maybe they're um, doing fly in, fly out working, um, or they really just want somewhere that they can close the door, it's lock and leave. They know it's been looked after and it's secure. Um, that's quite an appeal. Um, Apartments do have rentability and we'll touch more on the purpose of your purchase and what that looks like in terms of the rental market. But if you are in any major capital city, but particularly Melbourne at the moment, trying to secure a rental in the apartment market, it is insane. Hence why people are actually going to now buy these apartments because for the first time in a while, since we had all these rate rises that everyone's been hit with, Um, For the first time in a long time, it actually makes financial sense for many people to buy an apartment rather than rent it because the mortgage repayments plus outgoings are equivalent to what they're paying in rent. Um, As I touched on the security of an apartment, most do have a front door that needs like a fob um, to get in or a swipe or even a key if it's an older style property. Um, Also, if you're in a block you know, eight, 10, 12 neighbors, you've got people looking out for you all the time. Like that's a massive bonus in security. Um, And then the elevation and aspect, I've got a slide dedicated to aspect 
but also for um, some, and people don't really think about this, but for flood prone, flood prone areas, it's a mouthful, um, elevation and being on the top floor for some people can actually be something that they've, like people have requested of us to uh, find for them. And uh, you don't really think about it, but being up higher in some cases can be better. Not so great if you live on the top floor and the only access is stairs and not a lift. If you break a leg, that's going to be a bit of a pain to navigate. But people do think about these very, um, I guess, events that are in isolation or unlikely to occur. Uh, Most of the time, the pros of a top floor apartment outweigh the cons but it's also about the stage of life that you're at, if that is suitable for you. Okay, moving on to the cons, potential noise issues. Now, this comes down to the quality of the build, um, whether it is solid brick, a lot of the older style, I'm talking like 70s, 80s brick build apartments have minimal noise issues because they're just so solid and they have concrete slabs running through them and they're just like, you can't hear the next door neighbor at all. However, some of the cheaper builds, and I don't mean, I don't want to put a blanket rule around all new builds because that's completely unfair. It doesn't do them justice. But some newer builds do have noise issues where you can hear your neighbor, um, whether it's, you know, upstairs or to the side. So definitely keep that in mind. It's really hard to test that. Um, My biggest piece of advice to you, irrespective of buying an apartment, just buying in general always, always see if you can try and speak to the neighbor. Whether you um, linger around at the open home and work out who the neighbors are, because neighbors always come in for a nosy, or if you're a bit more um, you know, inquisitive and want to really dig deep into the block, leverage your uh, Facebook. I, know I don't spend much time on Facebook these days. I don't think many people do, apart from literally the only thing I check it for is the My Millennial Money Facebook group when I'm tagged in things or to check someone's birthday. However, the other thing I do check is the suburb community groups. So if you're looking to buy a place, I would join like the local Facebook group. Most suburbs have like the suburb and then the postcode um, as a group and then post on there, hey, I'm thinking about buying in the 150 block on Smith Street. Has anyone lived there? Do you have any feedback? Anything I should be aware of? Um, it's a good way to get some local insight. And people are very passionate when they've like lived somewhere and they know things. So definitely leverage that to your advantage. A shorter hold time on apartments, changing the vibe. Um, we're all about the vibes. And look, when it comes to the uh the turnover in apartment blocks, it is higher statistically than houses. Um, it has something to do with the purchase price as well because, you know, most people buy them as a first home, then they upsize and their their next purchase is actually like a 15 to 20-year plan, whereas the first purchase is more of like a five to seven-year plan. So there is a shorter hold time, which means you can get turnover of owners, but then also people that might be investing into the block. And so therefore you have more tenants or more rental rentable properties and then therefore, as a result of that, uh, you can have a bit of changeover. So just keep that in mind. It's not, I wouldn't say it's a deal breaker, but it's something to be aware of. Uh, another con is they do they are a smaller interior. So for some people who just have a lot of stuff, like you just know those people who just, they've accumulated a lot of stuff over time. Apartments don't lend themselves to uh, being a place where you can store a lot of things. Some of them do have good storage and maybe they have a storage cage as well. But typically speaking, most apartments kind of 
are a bit of a minimalistic lifestyle. So just be aware of that. If you do have a lot of stuff, you might need to do some culling, some spring cleaning, if you will. Um, There is more approval required for work. What I mean by that is, for example, um, so the the exterior, you definitely need approval. So if you had window frames um, and you wanted to change your windows and with that came a change of colour in the window frame, that's actually a change to the exterior of the block. And 99% of the time when you're in a body corporate, that would actually have to be approved by the body corporate for you to do. Um, And most of the time that actually asks for a colour match on the previous window frames. Um, In addition to that, if you are having tradesmen, particularly if it's lift access, tradesmen coming in for work, you would need to get approval for them to be able to use the lift at certain times to, you know, bring the materials up and down and and then also uh, usually courtesy more than anything, but alert your neighbours that you are undertaking some work uh, in the form of a renovation. So it's not, again, it's not a deal breaker. It's just something to be aware of. Um, Not as pet friendly. And I don't mean that you can't have pets in apartments. It's more just that quite obviously, unless you're on a ground floor, you don't have a yard space. So for some people, that's actually the reason they don't buy an apartment or they might buy more of a, what we call a villa unit um, that has a big courtyard or a townhouse with a yard um, because they're a bit more pet friendly. We are certainly finding that people are um, making decisions based on their pets. And there'll be some of you in there that just don't even resonate with that. And there'll be others of you who go, yep, I am I am buying a property that caters for my dog. And um, I hear you if that's the case for you. But pet friendly is actually one of the biggest requirements that we come across when we're dealing with first home buyers. So yeah, just to keep that in mind, it is very rare that a body corporate could stipulate that you cannot have a pet in a block. I've only ever heard of one person tell me that that's been the case for their apartment block. So look, check the body corporate rules but it would be extremely rare that you couldn't have pets. It's usually um, a rule that says everybody's entitled to a um, peaceful environment and therefore you know, noise curfews apply after 10 p.m. So just to be aware that that can be a thing. Um, another con I've put here, main road address. Now, purely by the fact that land on main roads is more affordable than the side streets, particularly for newer developments, a lot of apartments do have a main road address. The reason I list that as a con is more so a noise thing. If it's a main road address, like a what we call, call a thoroughfare road or even a highway, and it's facing the traffic, whilst there might be double um, glazed windows and, you know, uh, I guess, setback and control to try and minimise the noise, Main road addresses historically do not perform as well as side street addresses. So just to be aware that that could be the case for your apartment. If you're buying a main road address, you would always nominate to try and get towards the rear of the block that's actually facing away from the road um, and you find that they actually perform all right. You, There is a potential that you could be outvoted on something. For example, you might be in an older style apartment block um, that needs uh, re-rendering or some work done to it that's going to um, encounter a special levy. And so with that, um, you all need to vote whether you're going to go through with that or not. And you might, you're fine with it. You don't want it to be done. You don't want to raise the money. So you vote no, but the majority votes yes. And the special levy is struck. And therefore, even though you voted no, 
you are now liable to pay a special levy. So just to be aware that um, body corporate runs on a majority vote. So yeah, you might be in situations where you don't want to do something, but unfortunately the majority do. Look, most of the things that body corporate do and they raise funds for is for the greater good and actually improves the property. So be aware that um, it's not just in isolation. Think about the long-term value of uh, enhancing the block as a whole. Uh, And the final con I've put here is uh, lending issues. Now, I raised this, and this is probably something to really be aware of, is around the minimum requirements to lend for an apartment. So, for example, there are some lenders who will not use uh, an apartment as security for the loan if it's less than 50 square metres internally. Um, Some lenders simply won't touch it. The other thing is uh, some lenders won't uh, lend for apartments that are in certain postcodes uh, and others don't like certain structures of um, the blocks. For example, like they won't do high density blocks. So uh, apartment blocks that have more than a hundred in them, some lenders won't touch them. All this to say, have a really good mortgage broker on board who understands what the lender requirements are and uh, be in touch with them before you sign anything to do with an offer. We always run an address past the bank or the broker um, before we commit to making an offer on a property because apartments are not as straightforward as houses in that way. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. Hey Dave. Yeah Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear and t-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Uh, okay, moving on. Uh, good versus great. Let's have a look at this because I'm sure you're very keen to understand what a great apartment is. What makes a great apartment? Number one aspect, and I've got a compass I want to talk you through in a minute to talk about that. The number of apartments on the block. General rule of thumb, the less the better. Boutique um, in the older style apartment blocks, so there's 70s, 80s brick builds, usually it's 12 or less in the block. When we're looking at um, actually kind of like this picture I've got here of a newer build complex, we're more so looking at 40 and under to be more boutique in a newer build. Ones that are, you know, one of 100, one of 200 would not be a great apartment in my opinion. Um, I've put here no cookie cutter feel and uh, some of you will know what that means. Others probably have no clue what I'm talking about. 
If you think about a cookie cutter, it literally cuts everything the same and um, make sure that everything looks uniform when you're you're cooking cookies. Uh, We don't want things that are uh, exactly like for like or that, you know, Lego house feeling. We want something that's a little bit unique. In terms of contributing to a great apartment, an A-grade location would be key. A-grade means the cream of the crop means the you know most ideal spot ideally less than a kilometer from a train station ideally also um, walkable but even drivable would be acceptable to a, a supermarket um, then we're talking about looking at the median house price not apartment but the house price in that area are you buying into a blue chip location where the houses are like you know medians like 1.5 mil, 2 mil, but you're buying an apartment for 500,000, 600,000. Because if you look at graphs of any suburb, units and apartments follow the trend of the houses. And so if you're buying in an area where the house prices have gone up drastically, um, I would almost guarantee you'd do well out of an apartment purely by proximity to the location. Uh, looking at oversized, now here's something to write a note down. I really should have put a slide about this, about some guides for the square meter. So uh, listen carefully on this one. One bedroom apartments should be no less than 50 square meters internally. So I'm talking about what sits between the four walls. I'm not talking about balconies. I'm not talking about car spaces. The footprint of the internal apartment for a one bedroom should be no less than 50 square meters. When you're getting into sort of 55 to 60 square meters, that would be considered well and truly an oversized one bedroom. And it might even have a study nook or like an allocated study area in there. When you're then looking at the two bedroom apartment space, ideally you want no less than 65 square meters internally, plus your balcony, plus your car space. Um, An oversized two bedroom sort of sits more towards the 80 square meter Uh, mark. And then when you're getting into three-bedroom territory, really um, 85 to 90 is sort of your minimum square meter. Uh, Anything 100 plus, it's big. They're big apartments. When you get into 100 square meters plus, they are sizable. So just to recap, one bedroom's no less than 50 square meters, two bedrooms no less than 65 square meters, and um, three bedrooms would really be upwards of 85 to 90 square meters. If you're unsure about what the size of the apartment is that you're looking at, and it frustrates me so much because agents often include the balcony and the car space in their size, Um, simply, well, I say simply, it's simply for me because we've got a database that tells us um, for general public, you would be either calling the council to see what they have on file, or you would be um, seeking out uh, potentially from your mortgage broker, they should have access to CoreLogic, which is an online platform that um, is like a database for all the real estate um, listings. And should they know how to navigate their way around that platform, they most definitely could be able to find the square meter of the um, apartment, the size of the apartment. So be sure to ask that. Um, We want a a block that is a strong owner-occupied ratio, so more owners than there are investors. Um, That's mainly to do with upkeep and the decisions that are made around the uh, body corporate. We find that people who live in blocks where there's a high owner-occupier ratio actually um, see better results and better management of the blocks as well. 
You definitely want an apartment. For it to be great, it has to have an outdoor space. There's just no question about that. You need a balcony, a courtyard, a terrace, something that you open up a door from your apartment to an outdoor space. That's a really big requirement. And storage. Gosh, storage goes. It's such an underrated thing, but gosh, you need it. Whether that's internally with good size built-in robes or you can add it as a value add. Ideally, you know, a decent sized pantry, storage in the bathrooms, but uh, a storage cage. When you live in an apartment and you have a single car space, you don't have a garage, a storage cage for like your camping gear, your suitcases, maybe your surfboard, um, extra things that you don't use all the time, but you need somewhere to put, a storage cage is a great um, solution and they often are in the newer builds. The older builds tend to have carports that you could add a shed to uh, subject to you know body corporate approval um, or maybe even a garage if you're lucky. So just factor that in. So in my opinion, those components make up what a great apartment would be. Here's an example of a great apartment. Now, it took me a while to get this property for a client we were working with. Um, and when I was brainstorming yesterday about what I was going to show you, um, I mean, I definitely wrote this presentation like weeks ago. Um, I wanted to have a fresh in my mind. And so I was looking at examples that we recently bought. And let me run you through why I believe this is a great apartment. And we looked at so many apartments to land on this particular one. So first things first, um, a lot of people like the feeling of uh, like a mini house and having an entryway into a place rather than open, opening straight into your living or straight into your kitchen so you can see from the floor plan there, um, just here, you've got your entryway and then to the side, you've got the kitchen. It already has a dishwasher installed. It's got room for the fridge and it has the pantry, which um, is in this photo over here. And the uh, it's been updated as well, which is always a bonus, but um, it's got adequate storage and you could put the dining in there. Actually, this photo doesn't really do it justice. You could definitely fit a table and chairs in there. Then moving through, you've got the living dining and it has a north-facing aspect. Oh, I, I must get to the compass photo, but just mental note that north-facing living dining with a door that leads out onto the balcony here. Um, that balcony is also the window there for bedroom number one. There's no measurements on here, but I know that that bedroom on one side, I think it was 4.2 on one side and three on the other. And then this was more like a three by 3.2 is the second bedroom, which is a great size. Um, with a window. Please, please do not buy a two-bedroom apartment where the second bedroom does not have a window. There's so many new builds that look like that and uh, they just don't go up in value. Like Generally speaking, they're an awful um, purchase. Please, please avoid them. Um, now, the other reason it's a great apartment is because it has a separate toilet. So, so many two-bedroom apartments um, you know, they have one bathroom, but having a separate toilet, and I say this because if you flip it to be an investment property and there's two people renting it together, they've got their own bedroom each, a separate toilet is a big tick box for tenants who are sharing. So this in my mind is actually a good use of space. I actually believe it used to be the laundry and they flipped it. And I actually personally believe it's the best way to lay it out. So the laundry is in the bathroom. Um, and then there's the, oh, there, there we go, the shower over bath. Some people are a bit funny about shower over bath. Um, they don't like that idea. You could literally just make it into a single shower if you wanted. Other people would do anything to have a bath in an apartment, um, so they would keep it. But 
you know, it's nicely updated. It's non-offensive. The tiles are just neat and clean. And more than anything, the biggest reason I think this is a great apartment is because of the actual block it's in. It's an older style. I believe it was built in the 80s. I think it was an 85 build. Um, now, what would have made this like an A-plus apartment, in my opinion, is if it was top floor. It was actually this one here. It was the middle floor. The reason um, it would be even better on the top floor is because you just don't have anybody above you, which I think is a huge advantage and your aspect is better. That being said, you do have more stairs to climb in an older style apartment. So just um, keep that in mind. Um, okay, let's get on to the next, oh, my diagram that um, this is my failed attempt at a unicorn. This is the only unicorn symbol I could find in Canva and it's terrible. But basically what I'm trying to say here with the, with making a great apartment purchase, it's the combination of accommodation and location meeting in the middle, which is what we call the unicorn zone um, when we're talking about property. So getting the right accommodation for your needs of what you must have, minimum bed, bath, car, with the right location, with proximity to amenity and your lifestyle and your needs, that's where we start to see this unicorn. And unfortunately, unicorns aren't unique in the first home buyer space. Um, the properties that sit in that zone that tick a lot of boxes for you are highly likely to also tick a lot of boxes for other people. So uh, just keep that in mind that they can be competitive, um, which is a good thing. If you're buying a property where there's multiple people bidding or placing offers on it, there's a very high chance when you go to sell it, the same thing will happen. So you don't want to be buying properties where no one's putting their hand up at auction. You actually want to be buying properties that everybody else wants because you know it's a good asset. So just keep that in mind in your thinking when you're searching. Okay. Features to be aware of. Oh, good. We're tracking okay for time. So the aspect, oh, I've, I've referenced it again. Gosh, I'm really passionate about this aspect. We will get there on the next slide. Um, parking, stackers versus normal spaces. Okay. If you haven't seen my TikToks explaining stacker car parks, you really should go and check it out because it's actually a full like series on how stackers work and how they're not scary. I personally park my car in a stacker. You need to understand how many cars are serviced by the one stacker. And ideally, it's limited to two on the top and two on the bottom. Um, that is actually the minimum. It's the smallest stacker that you can get. You also want to read through the body corporate meeting minutes in, contained in the vendor's statement that outline if the stacker has had any issues or how often it is serviced. But it is probably quite naive to rule out properties that have a stacker. If you just go, no, I wouldn't park in a stacker. Obviously, for some of you, you actually have a car that can't fit in one, the car park stacker. Um, but if you do have a everyday car that does fit in the stacker, you're probably ruling out, oh gosh, I don't know, particularly in Melbourne, you'd be ruling out a majority of the properties that you could find are suitable purely based on no stacker. So I challenge you to open your mind about stackers. They're not all bad. So the number of apartments on the block, as I touched on earlier, the less, the better. Like the more boutique the block, the better. Um, in terms of being aware of um, how that can play out and impact you, be very mindful how many apartments there are serviced by a lift. A lot of the issues that we find in apartments that we avoid purchases on are when the ratio of apartments to the number of lift is actually inadequate. So generally speaking, like if you're in a um, higher rise building and it's like medium density, maybe you're sort of five or six stories and there's maybe uh, between eight and 10 apartments on each floor, you'd want to be looking at two lifts to service that many apartments. And also obviously the, the fire escape stairs, which are mandatory, but 
yeah, just being aware of how the number of apartments in the block could impact you at peak times, waiting for the lift to get out, particularly if you're on a top floor, um, just be aware of that. So the ability to add heating and cooling all the time, this actually must be approved by body corporate if it's a reverse cycle aircon that requires plumbing that must go to an external point because it impacts the common property of the building. If it's like a panel heater that you're adding in, um, that's not a problem. But things that require plumbing um, and require access via common property would need to be approved. So just be aware of that and if it's even possible to do so. Uh, bedroom sizes. This is a good one to be aware of in terms of um, minimum sizes. So in newer builds, bedroom sizes are usually like a standard double bedroom these days is three meters by three meters. Um, so anything more than that is really a bonus. In the older style ones, you'll see them be more like 3.6 by three. However, I would like when one side is shorter, so let's say one side of the room is 2.6 and the other is 3.4, collectively that still equals nine metres squared as a room size. So it's just that you need to balance it out. Um, 2.6 is kind of the shortest I would go on one side to be able to fit a bed with bed size that you can walk around the front of um, and then have the other side longer. That makes more sense in my head than it probably does with my visual um, hand gestures. But yeah, nine square meters, standard bedroom size. Uh, features to be aware of. Oh, renovation plans. So uh, I did touch on this before, but um, approval for trades to access the lifts. Uh, and also generally you would run um, any major renovation plans through the body corporate to ensure you're doing the right thing. Minor cosmetic things like a paint, change of carpets, probably not too drastic. But, you know, knocking out a wall, redoing a kitchen, redoing a bathroom, you really probably need to run that past body corporate. Not for approval of actually what you want to do with it. It's more about the access and also the mind, being mindful of um, other people in the block. Oh, here's my compass. Finally, let's touch on this. So you've probably heard people say, don't buy a south-facing property. South gets no sun. Let me tell you, that is one of the biggest myths. Oh, it's not a myth in that they're correct in saying it doesn't get sun, but I wouldn't say don't buy one. South-facing apartments are actually, in my opinion, the most underrated apartment when they are on a top floor, when they've got elevation. The reason is they actually get extremely good natural light, but your apartment doesn't overheat because you're not getting all this sun thrown into it. If you're a sun bug and you just love the sun heaps, then obviously a north-facing apartment will get the majority of daily sun. If you love sunrises, then east is for you. And if you love sunsets, then west is for you. But don't write off south-facing. Definitely, I wouldn't advise buying a ground floor south-facing apartment. And when I say south-facing, I usually mean like the uh, the living space, like where you spend the majority of the time because it would just be dark and dingy. But a top floor south-facing, in my experience, and I've lived in, I think, three properties myself that have been south-facing top floor, great natural light, um, really easy to moderate the temperature in, and you get a good aspect. So just keep that in mind. Costs associated with apartment living. Your biggest cost that is different to owning a house is the body corporate and your owner's corporation. So they're kind of interchangeable, these two terms. They mean one of the same thing. It is the company or corporation that is engaged by the owners of the block and you actually have to have one when you're over a certain, um, I believe once it's over three lots, or certainly in Victoria, that's the rule, you must have a body corporate in place. 
Whether it's active or inactive, sometimes it can be run by the owners themselves as opposed to an independent third party. But I would always recommend going through an independent third party when you're getting to apartment blocks because there's too many people to navigate. So uh, Body Corporate is responsible for uh, renewing insurance policies related to the common property. So whether that's the driveway, having public liability on the driveway, uh, the building insurance for the exterior of the building and any shared walls and also the roof. Um, and then things like, do the bins get taken out by somebody? Does a gardener come past and do the nature strip and maybe a shared lawn? Um, all the services that are not related to your internal apartment are run by the body corporate and you pay an annual fee for the body corporate to manage it and um, to contribute to the outgoings. To give you some ballpark figures, if you're looking at an older style apartment block, generally speaking, entry-level body corporate fees would be around $2,000 per year, so $500 per quarter. When you're looking at um, blocks that have amenity, I'll tell you the extreme first, so you can. So I've been through an apartment block that the owner's corp was twenty thousand dollars per year. Now the amenity was absolutely insane, um, but a more a realistic figure of having a gym, pool, um, maybe a tennis court, maybe a concierge at the front in a high rise would be closer to you know sort of five to eight thousand per year. Five to yeah, five thousand to eight thousand per year in body corporate fees. Then you've got um, water rates, you've got special levies that could be raised and that's for things that are um, going to be completed to the block. And one thing that you might not come across too often, but I thought I'd make mention of it, is understanding that sometimes energy providers have contracts with new builds where you actually are pre-allocated the energy provider and you have to use them because they power the block. Um, so just understand that that could be something that's already predetermined for you. Your water and rates are issued by, or water is by the water authority, your rates are by the council, um, and then special levies are struck by the body corporate. Okay, let's just close this out on some questions to ask yourself. Sorry, I missed that one. How to align with your goals. So looking at what this purchase means to you, here are some questions I would be asking yourself. Is this an investment property that I'm actually buying or is it actually your home? Because they're two different things in my opinion. Do you value your location or accommodation more? Because that will preface back to that unicorn that may not exist. You're going to have to leave us something, whether it's accommodation or location, if your price is fixed. Um, would renovation be on the cards or do I need it to be move-in ready? Because that will also impact your budget and where you're looking. What could my life look like in five years? Um, for many people, they do buy an apartment with a five-year timeline in mind. So um, I would consider that. I mean, plans change, but broadly, what does five years look like? And is this apartment rentable? Most apartments are, but, you know, things that going back to that, you know, what makes a great apartment, the separate toilet is a massive bonus. Um, so just factor in things that renters would want in the apartment um, so definitely some questions for you to ponder about aligning with your goals. If the ultimate goal is to flip your um, apartment into an investment property, then there are quite a few considerations rather than me going through it in its entirety um, right now because we're running out of time. There is actually an episode that John and I did not too long ago on the My Millennial Property Show that referenced flipping your first home into an investment property and the considerations you need to make. So I would definitely give that a listen maybe tomorrow morning if it's fresh in your mind on your commute or your morning walk or whatever it might be. 
Um, if you have enjoyed the session tonight, please spread the love. Um, these sessions are free. They always have been, I believe, and probably always will be. I don't know. I can't speak for Glenn, um, but Glenn's done a great job building this community and spreading the love is important. Um, so also through the My Millennial Money Facebook group, if you have any feedback on tonight or you wanted to encourage people to check out the YouTube um, recording, that would be fab. If you want to connect with me personally and learn more about apartments specifically and home buying. I don't I don't buy investments. If you want investments, speak to John. John Pigeon, he's your man. If you want to buy a home, I'm your gal. Um, and that's how you can connect with me on socials. I only put my Instagram and TikTok because that's where I spend most of my time these days. You can find my website if you need to. Q and A. Let's get into it. Sorry, I just yelled into the microphone. That was a bit rude of me. Um, Okie dokie. So, do you have any must-read articles or must-watch videos before starting the buying journey for your first apartment? Not articles that come to mind because a lot of them are very biased, uh, like they have an incentive of some sort. There are quite a few blogs on the My Millennial um, page, though, that are I would consider independent. Um, like, you know, when sometimes uh, articles are put out, but like they're sponsored by a certain, sometimes energy companies or moverless companies, they have like an underlying tone of something else. Um, as for videos, um, I actually have a course that's on the My Millennial page. And I don't, this is not about promoting me. I don't want to come across that way. However, there is a very valuable course sitting there about the entire buying journey, not specific to apartment, but I think it's very relevant to buying from pre-approval all the way through till settlement. So that might be worth checking out. Um, yes. Um, in your opinion, is a newer build or an older style apartment favorable? Um, look, both offer different things. You will get more boutique when you go for an older style apartment, um, but newer build, you will get warranty. If it's a brand new build, you get seven years structural warranty. Um, some people just love the idea of like new, neat, clean, um, that sort of thing. So I think it actually comes down to your personal circumstances. Me personally, I've always um, loved newer builds, like things like art deco apartments. You pay like an almost like an art deco tax um, for it being art deco. They're very hard to heat in my opinion as well. So on balance, character versus practicality, I would say newer builds for practicality, older builds for more of that charm and um, boutique feel. Uh, Carla, do you have a recommendation for a mortgage broker that is good with financing apartments? Um, I would go to sort your, is it sort your money out? dot com forward slash get help. I should know because we always say it on the podcast. <laughs> Sortyourmoneyout.com forward slash get help. That's that's what it is. Um Glenn actually, I don't think you guys necessarily realize Glenn has interviewed so many people to be on the panel of recommendations of financial planners, mortgage brokers, anybody he recommends has been interviewed and screened by him. And then you get um, allocated based on your needs. So I would definitely recommend uh, going through that avenue to find the right person for you. As someone who is going for apartment viewings for the first time, what are some key questions to ask? Um, fundamentally, there are some good questions to ask at open homes or for inspections, but please make sure you realize that the uh, real estate agent works for 
the vendor, not for you, the buyer. So you do need to do your own information digging and rely on your conveyancer or legal representative as well. Um, but I would be asking um, about the body corporate fees if they could have a printout of them high level. I would also ask about the vendor's preferred settlement and if there have been any recent sales in the block that you're looking at as well. Isaac, if looking for a two-bedroom apartment, do you think it's worth trying to find one with two toilets? They seem to be more expensive, just trying to work out whether it's worth the extra cost. Uh, Isaac, my advice to you would be go for one that has one toilet that is just separate. The two toilet thing um, is very is very specific market who want that. I would just go for one bathroom that has a separate toilet in an ideal world. Um, Sam, could you explain a bit about how a buyer's advocate can help? Also, how do the fees work? Is there a time limit on buying, etc.? Look, I can only speak to myself. Buyer's advocates, honestly, they range so much because the industry is not uh, big enough for there to be like a stock standard level of operating. At a high level, um, you would expect a fee to be anywhere from 13000 probably up to about 17000 for a full service source, inspect, negotiate the properties on your behalf. There's a lot to be said for the off-market properties that buyers advocates get when they're connected with real estate agents. Um, the time limit on using a buyer's advocate, I know our service agreement is three months because it's the same time as pre-approval. Some might do longer, but really when you're buying an apartment, um, three months in the market should be more than enough time. In fact, you probably start to miss the boat on some things if you're spending more than three months in the market. Um, I know that's super quick answer, Sam, um, but I want to try and get through as many as I can. So hopefully that helps you. Um, if you have further questions or you want to chat more specifically to your circumstances, I have free discovery calls on my website. Um, feel free to book in and we can have a chat. Okay, Vanessa, um, are you automatically included in the body corporate when you buy into an apartment or do you need to apply? No, you're um, looped in as like an owner of an apartment. If you want to be on the committee or you want to be more active, you actually have to be voted in at the annual general meeting, the AGM, um, and then you can be like on the proactive committee who do things, but you're automatically like a body corporate, I guess, member as you um, buy an apartment in the block. Uh, what was the standard body corp for a standard apartment per year? Sorry, missed it. Oh, um, so the body corporate fees to around about entry level 2000 per year for a older style and for a block that has amenity anywhere from 5000 to 8000 per year. Okay, feeling very lost on where to start where when it comes to my first home, any tips? I would suggest going through a lot of the My Millennial Property episodes. There's a lot of tips around buying your first home, where to start, what to ask at open homes, all those sorts of things. Consume as much as you can, but be very careful who you listen to. I wouldn't be listening to people who don't buy property for a living for tips, i.e. mum and dad, um, because it's probably been a long time since they bought and they might not be up to speed with the current market. So just be careful where you get your information from. Isabella, thoughts on buying an apartment that is not necessarily in slash close to the CBD area. Is it a mistake to buy an apartment in more suburban areas or near a coastal town? No, definitely not a mistake. I think if it serves the purpose of what you're looking for, um, that's key. But also, um, there is the potential of Airbnb down the track if it's near a coastal town potentially, which is a good sort of lock and leave solution. It depends what your lifestyle needs are, but I wouldn't say that's a mistake. Um, you just need to be making sure that it's a great apartment within that area. Okay, Jess. Uh, Pitch makes one Betty's sound like a bin fire. Can they ever be a good idea? 
Yes, they can. And I'm happy to battle this out with John at some point in time. They can. You need to buy something that's unique though. And you need to buy something that's a good size. So definitely more than that 50 square meter. And in a boutique block in a great area, we've had some one bedrooms perform extremely well for clients that we've bought for. And I know of other people in other states that have bought one bedrooms that have done well. So I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't say they're a bin fire, but John might think otherwise. I think that's because of John's personal purchase that he has a bit of a thing against one bedrooms, but I'll let him speak for himself another time. Okay. Um, thank you for the presentation. My pleasure. I hope you guys have enjoyed tonight and I'm going to still be here. Feel free to stay on if you've got nowhere to go. Maybe you've got plans on it Wednesday night. I don't know. Um, which suburb are you planning on buying your apartment in? Oh, good question. Um, I live in Elwood, Victoria, and I don't think you could literally, like you'll probably have to cart me out of here in a coffin because I, I love it so much. I don't really want to leave, but um, yeah, probably Elwood or the surrounds would be um, my area. Um, okay. If you remember, how much did the apartment that you showed in the example, oh, so, um, oh how much did we pay for it? Oh, now you're racking my brains. Um Armadale Street. It was an off-market property at 17 Armadale Street, Armadale, and we paid, I know it wasn't 700 because we paid less. I think we paid 690. It's in Armadale in Victoria on Armadale Street. Um, is buying a one-bedroom apartment not a great investment and is it better to push finances and wait longer for a two-bedroom not necessarily, Anita. It depends about the uh, depends upon, I should say, the block in which you buy in. Um, if you personally need a two bedroom and it gives you more longevity, then there may be a case to say um, saving and waiting for a little bit longer could be a good idea. Um, so I think that's a bit more personal, but I wouldn't say one bedrooms aren't a great investment. You just need to make sure they're in a boutique block in a really good location. Okay. Hi, Emily. Domain and real estate have different valuations. What do you think of this? Okay. If you're still listening and you're still there, everybody that's still on, this is some gold. Do not listen to the valuations that are on realestate.com and domain. Like the suggested, you know, it could be between 500 and 600,000. They're computer generated. They have no human element to them. They are like completely irrelevant. You need to do your own research and look at the most recently sold properties in the last three months within the suburb with the same accommodation and uh, similar floor plan, similar block to ascertain the value of the property. I would not rely on the reports that domainandrealestate.com give you. They are simply a system generated um, figure that is, in my opinion, not very accurate at all. Um, So please be careful about using those. Um, oh gosh, there's some lengthy questions in here. Okay. Let me try and get through them all. Um, Dean, how long does a pre-approval take after submission has been sent to the banks? Oh, that's probably more so for a mortgage broker. Um, because the lend, the different lenders have different turnaround times on pre-approvals. Um, so please lean on your mortgage broker. If you don't have one, go to sortyourmoneyout.com forward slash get help and they will link you up with a mortgage broker. But um, uh, some are like two business days, some are two weeks. It really varies lender to lender. Okay. Do you advise people, uh, Ashes asked, sorry, do you advise people visit an apartment in person before they buy? What if you're investing in another state? 
If you're investing in another state, I would highly recommend getting a buyer's agent who's on the ground who can help you because it's very daunting to buy in an area that you don't know or haven't um, don't have contacts in. Um, and I wouldn't be relying on the real estate agent to show you the true representation of the property. So I always advise, particularly if you're going to reside in the property, you should visit it. Um, the next best solution to that would be to have a buyer's advocate on board to help you. Uh, Scott has asked, what's the minimum size for a two-bedroom apartment and would you recommend to aim for a two-bedroom versus a cheaper one-bedroom? That's a similar question. Um in the, and, and, and it's a common question. I don't mean that in a bad way. It's a, it's a common question, Scott. Um, minimum size for two-bedroom, 65 square metres internally. Um, look, in terms of it versus a cheaper, nice one-bedroom, you're kind of looking at your per square metre rate. And, um, you know, if it's a one-bedroom that's 55 square metres internally with great aspect, good block, um, and lots of good features – then I would probably go for that over a squidgy two-bedroom that has no outdoor space in a bad location. So it's it's a balance of, I guess, all attributes to make sure it's a really good apartment. Oh, wow. There's lots of questions about buyers advocates. I didn't realize that that was going to be a thing. Um, so what might be an average fee for a buyers advocate? For full service, anywhere between 13000 to 17000 is about the average for someone to source, inspect, and act on any possible property including off-markets. Um, some do it a bit cheaper, but I have come across um, advocates that do it cheaper, but they actually don't have a database of the agents. And really what you want is someone who uh, is really well-equipped and well-versed in speaking with real estate agents consistently. Um, so just be aware of that. Um, are you a buyer's agent for the ACT? No, I'm not. Sorry, Alfonso. I um, am just Melbourne-based in a very specific area in Melbourne, um, but I'm sure there would be someone in the ACT that would be able to help you just have a little Google. Um, Izzy says, how would I replace the body corporate in my building? Great question, Izzy. You would actually have to get the members on board to basically throw out the previous body corporate and get a new one. I would highly recommend if you're going through the process of getting a new body corporate that you interview a few and understand how it's managed. There are some shocking body corporates out there and there are some really great ones. So do your due diligence, take your time in making a selection because ideally you want a group that can look after it for many, many years. So take your time in that process. Okay. Um, Is a shared garage in tandem a deal breaker? I don't think so. I mean, car spaces are like having two car spaces is better than none. I would take a tandem for sure. A um, bit more to navigate rather than it being side by side. But yeah, I don't see um, why that would be an issue. Uh, Dean, are off market properties generally more affordable? Oh, good question, Dean. I wouldn't say they're more affordable. I wouldn't say they're a bargain. What I would say is that you get the opportunity to buy them without competition. And buyer competition is what drives up prices. So, um, they could be more attainable um, because you buy them at the vendor's reserve rather than the inflated price of everybody else jumping in as well. Um, but I wouldn't say they're like a bargain or as such. They're slightly discounted because they don't have to pay for marketing. Um, so, yeah. Um, how accurate is a valuation from the bank and real estate agent? Well, the real estate agent's a pro, like their quote range of what they're asking for a property is purely based on what they think the market value of the property would be. And that's not to say it would sell within that asking range. The bank valuation um, that occurs once you have a signed contract, 
So a true bank valuation for your loan occurs once you actually buy a property. You sign the contract, the vendor signs the contract, then that paperwork is known as an executed contract of sale. It's then submitted to the bank and an independent third party, not actually, it's not like you go with Commonwealth and a Commonwealth person goes out to the property. Not true. Commonwealth Bank gets the paperwork. They then put it out to their valuers, which are independent third parties. And a valuer then then attends the property to value it, to make sure that what you've paid for the property is what they value it as. So, um, don't rely on the real estate agent for the valuation because they're not the bank. Only rely on the valuation once you have a, a signed contract of sale. Okay. Oh, Melissa has a question. By engaging a BA, am I likely to save money long-term? I acknowledge it's difficult. Um, do you also assist with pre-purchase activities such as building and pest inspections? Look, um, I think the biggest saving in having an advocate on board is actually the mistakes that you don't make. So many first-home buyers don't know what they don't know. It's their first time doing something. How could you possibly know what's normal? How could you possibly tell if an agent's lying to you or leading you on with offers? Um, How could you know how to avoid a block because it's been problematic unless you know how to deal with body corporate and call them and navigate them? So in terms of the saving, um, there's a saving element in the off-markets, but there's also a saving element in fast-tracking your knowledge and having an expert purchase for you. So I think, uh, yes, you would definitely save the money in the long term. It is an investment upfront and I appreciate it's not for everybody. Like not everyone can simply afford a buyer's advocate. But yes, I think in the long term, you certainly save it. Um, In terms of assisting with pre-purchase activities, um, most buyer's advocates, myself included, would line up building and pest inspections as well as contract reviews from the conveyancer too and have industry contacts to make the whole process simpler for you. Uh, I'm just trying to, there's a couple of double ups here. So I'm just trying to work my way through ones that are not, there's so many BA questions. I love this. Um, I wasn't expecting questions to be centered around um, buyer's advocate. I know I am a buyer's advocate, but that's not what I was thinking. Um, Do you regularly help people get access to off-market properties? Oh, yes. I, (laughs) I wish I could show you my phone, like the inside of like my, all my emails and stuff. Um, I have more off-market properties than I know what to do with. And that's what gets given to us. There's also things that we call out for and um, and get given. There, to give you an indication of the off-market like market, there's about one-third of the property market that the general public do not see. Completely off-market, will never go online. Vendors who cannot afford to pay for marketing or simply do not want to market their property online will sell off-market. And unfortunately, without a buyer's advocate, that's what you're missing out on. That being said, Buyers advocates are probably used for, I'd say, less than 10% of purchases. So 90% of people are buying properties without us, um, whilst I would argue that they could buy better with one on board. It definitely can be done solo. It just might take a little bit longer and you just might not have as much choice as you would with a buyer's advocate. Um, Kitty, how many apartments on average do you buy as a BA? Do you buy off market? We buy a property a week. We buy between 50 and 60 properties a year in terms of the apartments that are off market out of those. Well, apartments account for about 60% of that total figure. And of that 60%, probably about 50% of those would be off market. Um, So it's quite a high percentage overall. Um, Are you a buyer's advocate in Melbourne CBD? Yes, we are. If you need help buying, feel free to connect offline and book a discovery call. Happy to chat as to what you need. 
Carla, thoughts on off the plan and what questions to ask if the developer if they're going down that route? I am unfortunately not the person for this question. I do not touch properties that are off the plan in terms of I will only help buy an off the plan property if it's actually at the completion stage, at the lock and leave stage where it's actually been completely done and other people have already moved into the block. So I am not a new build specialist. I'm sorry. Um, I'm sure there are people out there who are, but that's just not me. Sorry about that. Um, is seven to 10 years old considered newish? Yeah, pretty much new. Anything, yeah, uh, 10, 10 years or less, I would say is newish. Yep. Um, Carol, can you share your advice and thoughts on combustible cladding? How does one go about doing due diligence with this issue or cladding? It's problematic. It is. Um, the first thing I would do is if you are concerned about cladding is call the council. So the council are responsible for the cladding audits. You can simply call the council, say, hey, I'm thinking about buying a property at this address. Uh, can I please speak to the cladding division? The cladding division will then um, run the address through their database and they will email you with a certificate of what's happening with that property, whether it's been deemed that it's fine, whether it needs work doing. And then from there, you can navigate. If you don't have a buyer's advocate on board, you'd navigate that with your conveyancer to ascertain what status that um, cladding is at and what uh, liability you might be up for if you buy into the building. Please, please be aware that there's some lenders who simply will not touch properties that have cladding. So run the address past your mortgage broker as well. Um, Okay. Would you say 3,600 for a two bed apartment is expensive for OCs or reasonable? Yeah, three and a half thousand a year, probably not too bad depending what you get. Um, if there's a lift in the property and if there's garden maintenance, that probably sounds about right. Yeah. Um, thanks for the info. Do you have a podcast episode on turning apartments into Airbnbs? Oh, that room. I actually don't think we have a specific um, one around that, but John and I are recording on Friday. So maybe I can add that into the mix. Um, yeah. I don't think there's one specific. There's one about turning it into an investment property, but not about Airbnb specifically. So we could certainly look into that for you. No trouble at all. Um, How do apartments with good location and accommodation near public housing estates usually perform? Great question. Um, Look, it's very hit and miss. There's probably uh, issues if it's actually facing into housing, particularly when you get the higher towers that are unfortunately a bit of an eyesore. Um, and block a lot of view. Um, then also the demographic and I guess the look and feel of the area around. Some can simply feel a little bit rough. Um, others are completely fine. It's more about assisted housing. Um, so it really depends on what type of public housing it is. But uh, for example, um, you know, in Richmond, Victoria, there's certain areas of Richmond, like near the injecting rooms and stuff that people just wouldn't touch for a property because um, the value just isn't there and it's um, doesn't feel safe for some people. Uh, particularly, we help a lot of single females into properties and um, it's just a demographic that simply don't feel safe in that area. There's no other way to put it. Uh, so I guess be very careful um, around the public housing um, in terms of what it means for the value of the property because um, it can put it in a category, even if it's completely livable and fine for you. It can put it in a category that could make it a little bit um, tricky to navigate. Um, okay. I'm going to answer like two more and then I'm going to have to go. I had a, I've, um, if you follow me and you have followed me for a long time, you'll know I have a little dog called Henry and Henry is going to be dropped off here um, 
in about five minutes from the dog sitter and you guys do not want to hear how ballistic he's going to go when he gets home. So we have to wrap it up eventually. Um, Yasmina has asked, are building and pest inspections important for apartments? Also, can you ask the real estate agent if there are any upcoming works on the external part of the property or the buildings? Okay. Number one, yes, building and pest inspections can be important for apartments. More so they're focusing on the internals. So you might find things like um, the shower needs regrouting because there's moisture readings in the shower or um, maybe the electricity needs rewiring because it's an old apartment that hasn't been done. Those sorts of things are worth knowing. Or maybe there's a leak um, through the window that's causing issues with bubbling paint or something like that. As for asking the real estate agent if there are upcoming works, fundamentally do not rely on the real estate agent for information. Rely on what's been provided to you in the contract and then lean on your conveyance side to do further investigations if you don't have a buyer's advocate on board um, because that's to do with the body corporate. And whilst some real estate agents might be helpful and actually have the right information, you need to remember that they don't actually have to provide representations beyond the documentation of the property. So I wouldn't um, take their word as gospel when it comes to works that are being completed. Um, okay. What are your thoughts on buying an investment property in the same block you live in? Ooh. My first knee-jerk reaction to that um, question is spread your risk. Do not buy where you um, already live. Like Diversify your risk. Um, and maybe buy something that for a similar price point is a house on land in another area. Um, I wouldn't, it wouldn't be the first place I would buy. I wouldn't buy two properties in the same block personally. Um, okay, one more and then I have to go. What is your success rate? Are many people, are there many people that you cannot find properties for? Our success rate, I have only ever not bought for one client in the whole time I've operated. It's been five. We just ticked over five years. Um, as I said, we buy a property a week. So what's that over five years? Like a lot, <laughs> uh, 200, over 200, under 250 properties, something like that. Um, as well as, um, uh, auction bidding and things like that. Uh, there's one client I didn't buy for, and actually they did buy a property. They bought an off the plan property that I wasn't going to support them in. Um, I made that clear. I wasn't at the property still isn't built actually. And it was bought in 2021. Um, and I made it very clear we don't buy those properties and they were totally fine. They've actually referred us, someone who's working with me right now was referred from them. Um, so they were all very amicable and fine. But outside of that one client, I have bought for every single client that we have worked with. You could speak to any one of them. They'd happily chat to you. We don't take on profiles that we cannot service. Um, that's why I spend time doing those free discovery calls. If someone gives me red flag vibes and they can't afford what they want, Unfortunately, we won't go ahead with them because our success rate is so high. I hope you have found value in tonight. I'm sorry I couldn't get to every single question. There's just so many of them. If you have a question and you want it answered, um, maybe just head to my TikTok and put it in a comment on one of my videos. I will reply in a video response for you um, and talk through whatever your question is. But thank you so much for jumping on board. I hope you've gotten value out of tonight. If you did, please spread the word. Um, let people know about the replay on YouTube um, because you'll be able to go back and see um, some extra information and have a look. Uh, but I really appreciate you being with me tonight. 
all the best in your house hunt. A huge milestone if you are out there house hunting right now. It's a big point to get to, um, to be involved in finding your first home. So, um, yeah, I really appreciate you spending the night with me and I wish you all the very, very best in finding your first home. And if I can help you, you know where to find me. All right, have a great night and uh, keep posted for more My Millennial uh, webinars as well. There'll be plenty more coming up. We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits and pay respects to their elders past, present and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. My Millennial Money supports a variety of charities and we encourage you to consider giving as part of your overall financial strategy. If you would like some giving options or if you're unsure about which charity you can support, head to mymillennial.money forward slash charities for more info. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement, target market determination, and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, and Glenn James are authorized representatives of Money Sherpa Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. Hey, Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.